Hey everybody, welcome to my very last podcast in New York City, hopefully out on the correct day this time. I was a little embarrassing last week, but whatever, it happens. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, this is definitely a, a weird, bittersweet moment for me because, you know, I get to move to a place where I could actually fit my stuff and a lot of these videos will take a lot less time because I don't have to unpack and repack stuff. But on the other side of things, I absolutely love living in New York. I love all the amazing friends that I've made here, which, you know, I'm not going that far away. I'll still see them all, but it's a little different when I could just walk out my apartment, walk across couple blocks and be hanging out versus, you know, getting a car or a train and make a journey of it. So definitely going to miss it a lot here, but hopefully it'll open up possibilities for a lot more cool stuff to happen in the future. But enough rambling about me. Let's talk about everything else that's been going on in the retro gaming world this week. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens for the schedule in the next few weeks. Uh, I might be able to do next week's Definitely not two weeks from now, but we'll kind of see how it goes. Hopefully we won't have to miss a week, but if we do, it'll be, you know, a very rare moment. So anyway, let's jump in. First up, My Life in Gaming recently posted a video showcasing the N64 Digital, which is an HDMI plus RGB kit for Nintendo 64s made by PixelFX, the team comprised of Dan and Kristoff, who have made previous mods like the PS1 Digital and DC Digital, as well as Woozle, who's made the Game Boy Advance Consoleizer and been working on a whole bunch of other awesome things as well. So based on the team that was working on this, I kind of knew this was going to be awesome, and it absolutely is. It holds up in every way. Um, it's just a very cool kit for your N64, and if you were looking for some kind of HDMI mod, I would absolutely check out My Life in Gaming's video. I will do a video at some point about it, but their video was so good, I think I'm going to wait for a few more features to be added in upcoming firmware updates, and then just do by, you know, do an opening and an intro, and then say, Go watch My Life in Gaming's video for everything you need to know about it, except here's the features I want to talk about. So uh, maybe that's a lazy thing to say, but I'm being honest. Their video was that good that I don't even need to, to do a full overview. I would definitely rather direct people to them and then do my little spin on the few things that I'm really interested in about it. So, you know, overall, I don't think anybody's surprised that it's an awesome kit, but if you want to know why or if you really want to get the sense of, is this for me, or should I just use a retro tank or something like that, definitely check out My Life in Gaming's video, and hopefully you'd be able to have all the info you need on it. Uh, and if you're still on the fence, the next batch should be available for purchase in a few weeks, and hopefully I'd love to have my own video out on it then that just kind of highlights some other stuff about it. So either way, I just highly recommend checking out their video. This next post is about a series of videos created that highlights lost Nintendo DS games that were based on popular movie fr uh, franchises of the 90s, but it kind of goes a lot deeper than that. Um, the person who created this set of videos really dug in as to show kind of the whole process of what it's like to try to figure out where these games came from and to track people down. Um, they're kind of long. I'm only partly way through the first one so far, but I've really been enjoying it. And uh, reading through Dan's post, he kind of had me sold on the first couple paragraphs anyway, but I read the whole post and I was definitely in, and I will be completing both of these videos at some point. So if you're interested in 
anything related to lost video games, um, you know, what it's like to track some of these games down, 90s culture, you know, any of that stuff. They seem like a really cool watch. They are pretty long, so you might want to schedule around that. Um, but they also don't seem like something you could kind of just leave on in the background. And I obviously say that with tons of respect. Uh, you know, a lot of content that I listen to is audio only because I could throw my headphones on and be, you know, shooting footage and listening to it at the same time. And stuff like this, um, I, I think I really want to sit down in front of and watch. So uh, it might take me a little while to complete it, but I think it's a, a very cool set of videos. Um, and I'm definitely, I've already subscribed and I'm going to check out more content from the same person. So if you think you might even be remotely interested in this stuff, check out Dan's post and then check out the videos themselves. And speaking of audio-only stuff I like to listen to, uh, I recently listened to the entire Mr. Discord stage event featuring host Artemio, as well as Mick Giver and Porkchop Express. And these are two people that I've sort of gotten to know over the years that I was really interested in hearing what they had to say. Uh, Porkchop Express runs MrAddons.com with all those very cool cases and accessories and stuff like that. Uh, I've been corresponding with him for a while. And Mick Giver is the person who makes those super low latency USB adapters that allow you to take your original controllers from your consoles and use them via USB on anything that takes USB. However, specifically, they take advantage of the Mr.'s uh, very low latency USB polling mode, which allows for an average of one millisecond or less, which is zero. By all means, should that be zero, unless you're talking about light guns. That's the only scenario in which that wouldn't count as zero, regardless of what game you're playing. You know, one millisecond is nothing for controllers. So uh, it was very interesting to hear, you know, their backgrounds and, and kind of their perspective on the Mr. Project. And of course, it's always great to hear from Artemio. I could listen to him every day and never get bored of that. So uh, if you're at all interested, this is definitely a good one uh, to flip on and listen to. And it is audio only. So if you want to have something while you're driving or on the train or doing work, this is probably one of the perfect ones to listen to. So definitely highly recommended. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I got for this next one. I got so excited that in the middle of packing, I dropped what I was doing and spent an entire day on this post because I was so excited about it. Not because Mike needed the publicity. He certainly doesn't. He's been doing awesome. Uh, I just, I was genuinely thrilled when I saw this. But the RetroTINK 5X just got a brand new firmware update that allows for scan lines that look pretty darn close to the original. Um, now, as I put in the disclaimer, the disclaimer in the post, you, you do need to understand that the pictures that I show and the zoom in close-ups are not a fair representation of what they look like. Um, you know, not only is it zoomed in on something that you're normally a few feet away from, but all kinds of compression mess with it, how your browser, whether you're on a phone or a, a laptop or a computer, how that scales the image, you know, it's really hard to show scan lines. And that's the other reason why I didn't do a video on it. The main reason that I just didn't have any more time, but even if I did the best possible video demonstrating scan lines in five different ways, if you're not watching it in 4K on a big TV, it just won't look right at all. So, uh, you know, quick disclaimer that what I talk about is pretty accurate, but what I'm about to show is not going to be the best representation. But uh, just to skip on to it, um, Mike 
added a bunch of different scan line modes. And, you know, I'll try to, for anybody watching on video, I'll scroll through very quickly, but basically uh, I wanted to represent how it would actually look in person. So rather than doing screenshots for this first comparison, it was a uh, camera in manual mode on a tripod staring at a monitor, a 4K 27 inch monitor. And you could really see the difference between, uh, you know, what it's like, seeing the pattern of the LCD screen behind it and all that with no scan lines and then all of the other options that are basically just horizontal lines drawn across the screen and in most displays nowadays that's kind of just what it looks like a bunch of lines plasma TVs did give a pretty interesting effect but it's still not quite the same and a lot of people are extremely happy with this look um, I kind of wasn't and when Mike introduced the new version of the scan lines that add vertical data to it, not just horizontal, I got really pumped up. Um, now the slot mask one looks pretty good. I think that's one of the ones that might look better at higher resolutions. Uh, and depending on your TV and how far you're sitting away from it, that, that's probably going to look good. It's my least favorite of the new modes. But then he added an aperture grill mode, which on both my monitor and my OLED TV, at normal distance looked really, really, really close to a Sony PVM monitor. It was really impressive to the point where after a few minutes, I forgot that I even had scan lines turned on because it didn't look like a bunch of horizontal lines across the screen. It looked like the same type of pattern, or I guess it felt like the same type of pattern you'd see on a CRT, which is none. You don't know that there's lines on a CRT. And even if you kind of stare at a character on screen, all of those, all of the mask of the CRT makes it feel like there's more detail on the screen. It makes it feel like the pixels are smaller. There's no pixels on a CRT, but it, you know, it, it tricks your brain into thinking the images look much better than they do in our much higher resolution. And I think that really captured it. Uh, and I was very, very impressed. There's another setting PVM that's the same, but sharper. Uh, this will depend 100% on your TV and your viewing distance on which one looks better. Uh, PVM was my second favorite. Uh, and then I also just showed more examples in this comparison just uh, for your own peace of mind. And I especially wanted to put the LCD grid lines on there just to show how it differs from the other ones. It's not just the other ones that I talked about aren't just vertical and horizontal lines, which by the way, if you're trying to mimic the screen of a classic handheld, these are perfect, but it's different. The CRT ones really feel more like the mask of a CRT. Um, very, very impressed overall with how they look and feel. Um, you know, I didn't have enough equipment to do the type of test that I would normally have done, but you could kind of see, uh, if you're watching on video, what the Sony PVM looked like with a little bit more detail versus the RetroTINK 5X's PVM mode. I think more importantly, though, you really get a sense that Mike's gotten closer than anybody I've seen so far at all. Um, you know, the Polymega had pretty decent scan lines, but they didn't perfectly line up in the last version and you can't get it and who knows you know supposedly next month we'll see um i've seen beta stuff for the mister but for whatever reason it never ended up as something that you could download so while i'm sure the mister will catch up because that project's amazing at the moment the only place that you could get scan lines that look like this are or is the retro tank 5x and, and damn they're good um the only other suggestions are i would 
use this in generic mode. You could try the other modes, but the scan lines all lined up perfect in generic mode as with the aspect ratios, which makes sense because if you're if you're going in an integer scale mode uh, where the aspect ratio is slightly off, so a little too narrow or a little too wide, the CRT mask wouldn't stretch to that. The mask is going to look the same. So uh, generic mode, I would definitely recommend. This is one of the rare moments that I would very happily sacrifice sharpness to be able to use these. Because while you kind of can tell the difference in sharpness, if, if you've got the eye for it, most people just don't care. I mean that with respect. But um, if you, even if you can tell the difference between sharpness, just the overall effect in generic mode is so good. Um, the only thing I didn't have a chance to test, because I just ran out of time, is I would love to see how TV looks with this. So 480i TV shows or a PS3 with a Blu-ray set to 480p running these scan lines, I'd love to see if it's something that could cut through film grain. And that's something that's always kind of bugged me because if you're watching on a projector, that looks right. But if you're watching on a crystal clear OLED TV, it just looks like noise on the screen. But if you watch on any kind of CRT, you don't really notice it at all. It feels like it's part of the image. So I kind of want to see how this works with that. If, uh, if anybody feels like posting pictures or, or videos or anything, I'd certainly watch. But um, I'm definitely going to do the testing myself once I get settled. So I know I've just gushed over scan lines for like seven minutes straight, which is kind of funny because I'm not usually the person that ever talks too long about scan lines because I just don't like the look of artificial scan lines until now. This is the closest we've ever gotten to feeling like a real CRT, and I just very, very impressed. So please check out the post. Once again, there's no video because I just didn't want to overcompress it, but uh, if you want every detail you could imagine, please read through the post and see all of the pictures. And I even left a link to all of the screen captures that I took. I just suggest that if you, uh, if you want to see what this feels like, make them full screen. That's F11 and Windows and who knows on Mac, uh, and then just like take a step back and then see how they look at like a normal viewing distance in full screen. And that would give you a very good sense of what it's like. Not perfect because there's no motion on screen, which, which is pretty cool, especially for things like F-Zero, where you have flashy backgrounds that look great on a CRT, but they kind of are a little distracting on a flat panel. The scan lines cut right through those. It looks great. So uh, I'll stop ranting about it, but I'm just very excited that I finally get a chance to have almost real feeling fake scan lines, and uh, I can't wait to do more experiments with them. The Strong Museum of Play has just obtained a bunch of old rare floppy disks, and one of them turned out to contain id Software's Super Mario 3 PC demo. Now, for anybody who's unaware of the story, the full story directly from John Romero himself is available embedded right in Dan's post. It's kind of a short video and very worth watching, but Basically, they came up with a PC version of Super Mario Bros. 3 to prove that they could pull off scrolling, smooth scrolling on a PC, which at the time isn't something that you could easily do. And Nintendo was very impressed, but as everybody would have expected, passed on the project um, because, you know, they weren't really interested in releasing their games on other platforms, and they, they still kind of aren't all of these years later. So... Uh, they ended up taking the the software and the game engine they wrote for this and making their own games. And overall, it's just really impressive to see what could have been done with scrolling software for Nintendo games on PCs. And it's just also a testament to id Software and John Romero and, and John Carmack and all the work that they did. So 
definitely check out Dan's post on this one. And I highly recommend watching that video because it's just such a cool nerdy nostalgia trip of, of what it used to take to make these games looking the way they did. I just did a live stream of the Super HD System 3 Pro from Terra Onion. Not exactly a name that rolls off your tongue, but that's pretty much the only complaint I had about it, uh, is the long name and the recessed micro SD card, and I liked everything else about it. I originally planned on doing a typical deep dive video showing all the features, but I'm just not going to have time for a month, and I'd rather get the info out there than, than have this sit on a shelf and have people wondering my thoughts on it. Uh, so I figured I would do a post and talk about it here. If you want to watch the live stream, that's cool, but please keep in mind that it's three and a half hours long, and it's more of a window into how this testing works. Um, and less, you know, less of a, a full featured, let's look at the SSD HD system three divided by two, whatever. Uh, but so, I mean, it's awesome. I had Tian Fong on there with me to test MD Fourier and then he had to jump off and Artemio jumped on to help. So it, it's definitely a, it was a lot of fun to do and it might've been fun to hang out in, but it's just mostly nerd testing and scrutinizing about tiny little details. Uh, but the entire summary I can give right now in just a few moments. It's mostly positive though, so I'll just kind of run through. RGB output looked incredible because the RGB output is generated from the digital pins. See, TurboGrafx and PC Engine consoles have those pins all across the back, and some of those provide digital data about the video signals. The only other console that I know of that does this would be the GameCube, which is why those GC video adapters are able to work. So it gets its HDMI signal right from those and then generates RGB from HDMI, and it just, it looked absolutely incredible with no jail bars. So that means if you have a PC Engine or a TurboGrafx console that's stock that you've never opened up, which is fine because it's the duos that have the leaky caps, not so much the other ones. I would probably open all of them to check anyway, but it's very plausible that you'd have an old TurboGrafx or an old CoreGrafx and any solution that you plug in or install internally. So whether it's an internal Voltar mod or the DB Graphics Booster or the Spark Plug, they're all going to have jail bars on 99% of all consoles unless you do another mod to it. So if you're doing a Voltar board or something, you know, changing two more caps is nothing. That's no big deal. But if you just want a plug and play solution, what if you have a couple of these? You got a Turbo Graphics, you got a PC Engine, maybe you have a Super Graphics 2, whatever else, and you want one device to plug into all of them, you're going to have to mod all of them or just deal with jail bars. So the fact that there is a plug and play device that gets the signal from the digital pins means you don't have to worry about any of that analog interference, even through RGB. So that's huge. Um, next is the HDMI output it was very clean. I didn't have any problems with it at all. I believe there's a few different modes. Uh, I only really used 720p because that's predominantly what I would be using for gaming and for streaming. You could set it to 480p and then double that in OBS if you wanted a 1080p stream, that would look cool. And there's also a 640 by 480 mode, which means if you're using a CRT, so like a, a VGA monitor, then you could set it to that, turn on scan lines, and it'll look pretty much like a PVM. Uh, check out that video on RGB on VGA monitors I did last year that explains how and why you could do all of that stuff. 
all the aspect ratios look pretty darn close to four by three. I'm sure if we dug in deep and hopefully my life in gaming will, we could get a comparison of how Mr. Outputs versus this versus original consoles through the RetroTank 5X in, you know, perfect pixel and generic mode. I think that would be the, the perfect three-way comparison didn't have any time for that, but I can say that if you buy this, plug it in and plug it into your TV, it's going to look good and you're going to be impressed with the HDMI output of it. Um, the updated menu was really nice. I definitely preferred it over the original, so that's just a small bonus. Um, I, I didn't hate the original, but I never once smoothly transitioned between CDs and Hue cards. I always would click on it and go, oh, that's right, I have to switch tabs. And this one is not like that at all. It's smooth, everything works great. So definitely props for that. Um, the ODE and ROM cart functions work perfect. No surprise there, because the other ones seem to work fine. Uh, I ran into a couple of super minor bugs, but these are things that I'm sure they're gonna fix in firmware relatively soon. I mean, this is a brand new device. Uh, audio testing via MD Fourier showed very, very good quality. Now, I did use the latest firmware update where NeoDev addressed a lot of this stuff. So if you have a launch edition firmware, definitely update it. Um, that's kind of my only other complaint is that, you know, with all Terra Onion products, you have to register your device. And I see both sides of it. If I was a developer at Terra Onion, I'd be saying, yeah, we're going to always do it this way because that's how our products don't get cloned. So deal with it. And I completely understand and agree. But as a consumer, doesn't make it any less of a pain in the ass that I have to log in and register and remember my username and password and all of that stuff. So I kind of just call that it is what it is. I don't love it, but I might make the same exact decision if I were them. So that's just kind of a neutral. It's not a plus or, or minus. Uh, but get the newest firmware update and audio should be great out of both. They said they're going to continue to tweak a few things like the filters. And if you watch the live stream, uh, both T and Artemio and I go through that and kind of explain what that means. But basically, it's really, really close to what it would be like from a quality original console. Um, so if you're an audiophile, you could rest assured that this is not going to piss you off. Uh, it might not be as flawless yet, but it's it's getting there. And the team's been great. So, you know, all of the products have had pretty consistent firmware updates and stuff like that. Uh a couple other notes, composite video is passed through from the console's CVBS pins. So composite video through the Genesis 2 style output port is going to look just like a good solution, like the spark plug or the graphics booster, not one of the ghetto solutions like the Hyperkin one with no components in it at all. Dangerous. But uh, so that's good. And the composite video is also a pretty neat way to check out the original color palette. I'll get back to that in a second. Um, the only thing that, depending on your situation, you might call this a downside, you might say doesn't matter, but you can't use both the RGB and HDMI outputs at the same time. If they're both plugged in, or if you're using RGB and then plug in HDMI, it'll always default to HDMI. So I don't think that that would ever really bother me, and I think anybody that has... Uh, Anybody that wants to stream is probably going to have some sort of scaler anyway. So you could go RGB out into your monitor and then your RGB monitor into your scaler and do it that way. And if you game on flat panels, um, that's a non-issue because you just grab a cheap HDMI splitter and then now you have both. So Or, or get a capture card with a pass-through. So depending on your setup, if you were hoping to connect this directly to an RGB monitor and directly to your capture card, uh, you might call that a downside. I just kind of thought it was another neutral point. Um, 
HD Retrovision's cables are supported, but you have to change the analog brightness to from normal to medium. Otherwise, it will be a little too bright. This is another thing that I would call a non-issue. I don't call this a mistake. It's just one of those neutral things that you need to um, you need to take note of if you're using just any Genesis 2 properly built RGB SCART cable. Uh, we took measurements. The video voltages are all perfect. Um, you could leave the analog brightness at normal. Everything should be totally fine there. It's just one of those things that um, makes sure it lines up properly. Also, like I've always said, if you don't use a properly built Genesis 2 cable, whatever happens is your fault. Not Terra Onion's fault, not whoever you got your monitor or scaler from. Always use the right cables or you could do damage to your equipment. And it's, you know, I, people get really mad when I say this, but it's nobody's fault than other than your own if that happens. Everybody in retro gaming always tells how important it is to use good cables. Uh, and it should always be that way. SCART, HD Retrovision, composite video, doesn't matter. Don't use junk and you'll be fine. Uh, now, here is what some people might consider one of the most interesting features. And something that at the moment I believe is only available on the Mister. But since the video signals are generated digitally, Terra Onion had the option to change the color palette that's generated. And I'm going to oversimplify this. Uh, we're going to have a much more detailed post soon that describes it. And I actually am very embarrassed because I thought we already did have a post that described it. I guess I was paying attention behind the scenes but never wrote it. My apologies. But here's. The short overview is that the way these PC Engine and Turbo Graphics consoles generate video, the color palette looks the way they always intended through composite video. But when you pull RGB, it changes the palette and there could be a very big difference depending on the game. So the one thing that anybody watching on video should be able to see here is the composite video palette can show different, not only different colors, but different layers in a different way. So, I mean, you, it really, in some games, takes away from the original look. So I did a composite video capture through the RetroTank 5X. I used Terra Onion's menu, uh, and you have to create a folder and drop some palette files in, but I was able to switch between the default palette, the composite video palette, and then show real composite video. And it's really impressive at how much of a difference it made. Uh, this is also available on the Mister, so anybody who's used the Mister could already experience this without any issues. But um, I just thought it was so cool that both RGB and HDMI had the option. Uh, you just got to go in and check analog color table or digital color table. Uh, that's another thing that's not good or bad, or, or could be both depending how you look at it, but you need to set the color palette for both outputs. Um, I'm not sure why you would want one as, you know, the default RGB colors or the other one at the composite video colors, but if you are somebody that needs that for your setup, then beautiful, you have that option. When I was testing, I totally forgot and had to, I wasted a couple minutes and had to go back and reset it on the digital side. But I, I just think that's so cool that you could experience these games um, with the original intended color palette now. Uh, out of all outputs, I guess, because the original composite is the original signal. And the only other things to mention are the FPGA on this emulates the optical drive chips and the, uh, the drive and stuff like that. It emulates the super graphics, so you could play super graphics on turbo graphics or PC Engine consoles. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, that part is emulated in FPGA. 
and you could also load extra cores on it if you wanted. So I have a couple of thoughts on that, and then I'll, I'll wrap this up, I promise. But uh, So as far as using it on original hardware, I very, very strongly feel like you could still call this original hardware. They're not just running a PC Engine core and using the controllers and the power. They're actually using the full console that you plug this into. So any of the emulation that you're using is really only super graphics and audio. And since we tested with MD Fourier and proved that the audio is pretty darn good, there's really not much to worry about. We found one little crazy bug then as soon as I rebooted the console, everything worked fine. So I'm sure there's going to be some firmware updates for the FPGA code for the super graphics, but I would call it very, very stable right now. And, uh, you know, it was definitely a concern and a question of mine when I first heard them announce the product, you know, is this just using the console as an interface, but no, you're all, you are using original hardware. And I think that's awesome. The only thing is you could also load different cores. They're porting the NES core, and I kind of have feelings about that in coming from the point of if you want an FPGA device with a whole bunch of different cores, think about a mister. Mm. Sorry, it's hot in here. Needed a, needed a sip of water. But, you know, it, if but on the flip side of things, if you wanted this for your TurboGrafx or your PC engine and you also have a Famicom that's or an, an NES that's unmodded and you're thinking, well, you know, I'd love to be able to use this in RGB. I'd love to be able to use this on my flat panel. Composite's fine, but, you know, it would be better if it were RGB or HDMI. Then using this for the NES core is an awesome way to do that. Now use your original console with your cartridges on the, the original NES and composite or RF or whatever. And, you know, use ROMs in, in this to emulate. You could even change the color palette of the NES core as well, I believe. So that's cool. But if you're approaching this, and once again, this is just my opinion, but if you're approaching this as I don't own any TurboGrafx hardware whatsoever and I want to buy this and I'll get an SD card and I'll, you know, I'll get a console and I'm going to run everything off of ROMs. If that's where you're coming from, you might be better off just getting a mister. And I hate people that throw that around like original consoles are stupid. Get a mister. I hate that. I love original consoles. I will always own my original consoles, regardless of what comes out. If a, a, a VR plug into the matrix, you know, 24 K version of the mister comes out, I'm still going to keep my original consoles, uh, but it's just something that I always try to steer people in the right way when they're sp about to spend a lot of money. Cause very often I'll be like, yeah, I love this thing. If you like this, you got to save up for it. And I, I want to make sure that when I say those things, I'm directing them in the right way. So the only other reason that you might not want this product is if you already have the original SSD S3, which as a company, Terra Onion should be pretty darn proud of that. If, you know, if a pretty, uh, you know, pretty stringent reviewer says the only two reasons not to buy one is if you want a completely different solution altogether, or you already have their first product, it's a pretty big compliment, um, but it's true. If you already have an SSD S3, it's performing well, and you don't play super graphics games, or you already own a super graphics, and let's say you already own the RetroTank 5X, I don't know if I would spend the money to upgrade. If you're a huge fan of Turbo Graphics, definitely do it, but if everything's working well, especially if you have a good scaler or if you only play on RGB monitors, the only other thing that you would get is that composite palette, which is pretty cool. So. Overall, I tried to, you know, I, I guess I did my mini review here as part of the podcast, but I tried to sum it up pretty nicely in that, you know, it's an awesome device, performs really well. If there's a few bugs that need to be ironed out, I'm sure they'll be fixed, you know, in a reasonable period of time. And, you know, it, it's 
it's something that you could feel confident buying. I just wouldn't spend the money if you already owned a Super Graphics in the original SSD S3, or if you plan on emulating all of your consoles anyway. But to be honest, if you plan on emulating all your consoles anyway, you're probably not listening to this and you skip to the next section anyway. So hopefully that sums it all up pretty nicely. If you want more info, definitely check out the posts maybe check out the live stream. I think that might be a little boring for your average nerd, but uh, the post should sum everything up. Here's another thing I really wanted to do a video review on, but ran out of time, so I did a written review, and I'll give you another run-through, just like I did. Hopefully it won't be as long as the last section, but I really wanted to review more HDMI splitters. I tried those HD Fury devices that I just couldn't stand. I think they had a great use in a professional environment where you need 100% control over every aspect of the signal, but I couldn't stand them. I don't want to mess with any of that. I just want things to work, and I want a little bit of control. And that's exactly what these two very cheap HDMI splitters were able to provide. So they're basically the same thing with uh, one is... $20, the other's $30, and the $30 one has a few extra features, which I'll get to in a second. Um, the only thing I will warn everybody about is consistency of these products that are made in bulk are never consistent. I mean, it's just they're non-existent at all, which means if you buy one of these today, it might be different than the one I bought two weeks ago, and it might be different than another one that you buy two weeks from now. There could be the same cases with different guts. Um, there could be different cases with the same guts. So I could only tell you about the products that I purchased, and I ended up buying one more each of these, uh, both because a friend wanted them, so they threw me the cash and had me pick them up, and so I could test two of each to make sure. And they were all the same. So, you know, it's probably safe to buy right now. I don't know if this will be an outdated post in six months, but from the perspective of a retro gamer, both of these devices worked with the OSSC in 5X mode with an original Super Nintendo with no mods done to it, no audio dropouts, no video dropouts. They don't fix the signal, which is expected. If there's no buffering, there probably wouldn't be anything like that anyway. So if your capture card or your display didn't work with the OSSC before, it's still not going to work now. But the flip side, if it did work before, it will still work, so you don't have to worry about it. So that's always a plus. Um, 4K60 up to or up to 4K60 at 444 uncompressed colors worked perfect on both of these devices. Uh, I used the same setup and testing as I have been, thanks to the um, dynamically scaling pattern that Fudo sent me, and they, both of those passed. They do not hurt the colors whatsoever. And both have another interesting feature. And here's where the price difference start. On one of them, if you plug in a device that's EDID says that it's only 1080p, so a capture card, a 1080p monitor, whatever else, it'll automatically downscale from 4K60 to 1080p60 or whatever your original resolution is. On the more expensive one, there is a dip switch where if you turn the switch on, you could have both none or one of the outputs downscaled to 1080p. They both performed the same, which is not bad. Um, I would never use this for comparison videos, but if you're in a scenario where uh, it's much cheaper to pick up one of these for 20 or 30 bucks than it is to upgrade your video card, then that would be perfect a perfect use for it. Um, I'm not really sure 
what other scenarios you could use it for, but I loved that there was just a switch that I could turn on and off that deals with that. And I think it's a pretty cool feature to have. Neither will downscale HDR to SDR though. So if you're using a modern console and you want to display it on your TV in 4K and on your capture card in 1080p, you got to make sure that you set the console to 4K SDR or it won't work, uh, which shouldn't be that big a deal, but just saying. Um, as far as lag goes, zero. Uh, I don't have the equipment to test 4K. It's all packed up. Uh, sorry, I'll get to it at some other point. But basically, testing or testing all of the resolutions in pass-through mode, zero milliseconds of lag. Zero, zero, zero. There's nothing. So you don't have to work, worry at all about that. I have not tested the lag of downscaling. I probably will get around to that when I move and get all my stuff out. But I don't think the average scenario for that involves gaming on two monitors. I think the average scenario is gaming and downscaling for capture and capture could have a 10 second delay. It doesn't matter what the lag is. So I, I think that that's, um, I think that that's kind of a non-issue for most people, but if for whatever reason you want to split to both, maybe fire up the 240p test suite or something like that, you know, with the, even if you use emulation to do it, um, you could see the stopwatch go around and just use a slow motion camera and you should be able to see. I ran out of time and equipment and all that stuff. My apologies. I'm usually pretty stringent, but once again, I think the main use for that is uh, capture, so it wouldn't even matter. The only other thing to note that's kind of a neat feature, only other things, um, both of them on the other side have HDMI in, power, a button that you hold down if you want to turn the USB power into a firmware update tool. However, the other one, uh, the more expensive one, has EDID control, where you could either copy from the display plugged into HDMI 1, uh, which is how the first uh, cheaper model works and how I think I'd use it 99% of the time anyway. But it also allows you to have EDID that says it's 4K with 7.1 audio and 4K with 5.1 audio. So if you have any specific issues with your setup, that might help. Um, and if not, then you don't need it. So as far as features go, if you need the extra little bit of control, the 10 bucks is worth it. If you really just need a 4K splitter that you know doesn't add lag, doesn't compress colors, and passes HDR, but you know doesn't scale it or anything, they're both great, but I would get the cheaper one because if you don't need the other features, why bother? Uh, and both will allow you to capture from the PlayStation 3, which is something that is annoying and should be very offensive to all of us nerds, because I remember this issue back when HDCP first got implemented and people had just spent, at the time I had a job where I worked with like a bunch of home automation installers and I did know of a bunch of scenarios of, you know, rich people building a home theater and spending a hundred grand on equipment and then suddenly they can't use HDMI because of this stupid protection that doesn't matter anyway. So very good to know that at least the models that I bought, I could uh, I could capture my PlayStation 3. I could use a Blu-ray player on an older projector that only has component input through a, you know a, one of these and a DAC. So that's good to know. Uh, once again, though, if you buy one of these today, it might be different than last week's or next week's. So uh, if you think that you might need an HDMI splitter, you might want to just pick up the cheap one just to have in your toolbox. I believe it's still 20 bucks. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. 20 and 30 are the two prices for it. And they're both pretty awesome for the cash and they do everything that you would need in that scenario. So check out the post if you want proof and any more info. 
Well, before I go, because this is the last podcast in New York City, I figured I would do one last nerdy experiment. I know so many of you get annoyed when I do this, but one last New York mic test. So this entire time I've been shooting from this apartment, I've been using a Rode Procaster, which I thought by far was the best for cutting out all of the crazy background noise that you used to hear in these videos and not so much anymore. And now I've switched to a Deity S mic, which I'll be using from this point on. Uh, and I am exactly 17 inches away from it. It is just off camera right here, so you can't see it. So hopefully, um, in the new place, it won't be too echoey and I won't have too much background noise so I could actually just look like this without having a giant thing in front of my face anymore. Uh, so wanted to do one last test. Here's audio processed like I normally would through Adobe Audition, doing the compression and noise reduction and all that. And uh, I guess when I'm in the new place, we'll hear how it sounds from a crazy New York City apartment to a house in the middle of the burbs. So anyway, as always, thank you all so much for your support. Uh, I'd love being able to do this. I've loved being able to do this from the middle of New York City, but I guess uh, things change, and uh, as much as I love it here, it's time for something else. I'll probably be back at some point, though.